You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectably delicious host, Andrew Gerza, and I'm also your disabled daddy. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this episode started, shall we? First things first, I want to remind you that our good friends at Public have set it up so that you can get merch, Disability After Dark merch. You can get t-shirts, pillows, different kind of things from the website there. If you go into the show notes for the show today, you can click on where it says we have Disability After Dark merch and pick up a shirt or a pillow or a mug, whatever you want to grab from there. It has our logo, Shining a Bright Light on Disability Stories. And I'm excited to tell you that they have a 35% off sales happening all of the time. So consider picking up a piece of your favorite podcast at the link in the show notes. Thanks, T Public, for doing that for us. It means a lot. 
On the show today, I sit down with one of my friends and somebody that I really admire and respect, and I'm excited for you to hear the interview with. I sit down with my friend Jonathan Sinan, who is a theater maker, currently an assistant professor at Buffalo State, uh, but we've been working on a little show called Access Me for about six years. And you heard in episode 251, I sit down with my friend Debbie Patterson and talked about the show that we're creating together a little bit, but Jonathan is someone else who's worked tirelessly on the show and has been there from the beginning. So I talked with him about our experiences making Access Me and what it was like for him as a non-disabled theater maker to come in and be asked to make a piece of disability theater. We talk about some of the nuances of trying to create a show around disability and a theater piece around disability and what he learned from that experience and some of the nerves he had um, trying to make this go and realizing his own able-bodied privilege and trying to make a theater piece about queerness, sexuality, and disability. We had a really, really good conversation and it was really, this one was really like two old friends sitting down and having a chat. I haven't seen him in person since COVID hit back in 2020. I haven't seen him since the summer of 2019 when we did our last show together and we thought that we would get a chance to come back and do the show again, Access Me. We, we were in the middle of workshopping it and then the COVID hit. So it was really nice to sit down with him and just reminisce and talk about this project. And we are so excited for this play to finally see the light of day again post-COVID. Um, and, but it was really important for me to bring him on the show and talk to him about his experience making this groundbreaking piece of disability theater. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jonathan Sinan. Also be aware that my Zoom cut out like probably about 10 minutes in. Our Zoom froze for like three minutes and I was too lazy to cut it out. So you'll hear that in the edit now. But uh, it was a really great conversation. I love sitting down with him and talking about how we made our play Access Me, how we um, created disability theater together, and I hope you enjoy the interview right now on Disability After Dark. Hey, Director Man, how are you? Hey, Andrew, I'm really good. Nice to see you. It's so nice to have you on the show. I, it's yes. really, it's really nice to look in your eyeballs because we, we haven't seen each other in, in like three years now. Basically. It's it's been a long time, not in person since I think 2019. Yeah, in the summer. So way too long. It's been a, it has been a very long time. Um, I'm excited to have you here because we're going to talk about our show today. We're going to talk about our show Access Me today. Yes. all about that and all about your experiences being the director man and one of the producers of this groundbreaking show we put on. Um, yes. And so before we dive into that, I want to mm. just have you introduce yourself a bit to the audience. Tell us a bit about who you are, what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Jonathan Sinan. Uh, I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a white man in his, uh, well, in a, in, a, in a blue shirt uh, with short blonde hair and wearing glasses. Um, and uh, what else do I say? And I'm primarily a director, so that's how 
Andrew and I know each other. And uh, I've worked in theater in Canada, and I currently teach at uh, Buffalo State College in Buffalo, New York. That's super cool. Um, and yeah, that's why I called you Director Man, because you've been directing <laughs> this this thing we've been putting on. I have. We've been doing this now for oh, so, like seven, almost seven years, this thing, this play, right? That sounds about right. Yeah. Wow. I remember when we process. I remember when we started doing it and we sat in that room together when we first started figuring out what this play was gonna be. I thought it would be, I honestly was like, it'll be a few months. I didn't realize that this was a long <laughs> off. Um, so um, can you talk a little bit about first of all, let's talk about your experience in as a theater maker. Like what what kind of stuff have you done before you got on to access me? What kind of work have yeah. you produced? Yeah, sure. So a lot of a lot of the work that I that I've been doing has been in, <clears throat> excuse me, what we call uh, devised theater, and this this is an approach to theater that works collaboratively to create plays. And um, so, you know, one one of the pieces that I worked on was a piece called Black Boys by a company called Saga Collective. I was a director of that one, and. And that was a, a really, uh, uh, again, another long-term development process, um, uh, exploring the, the lives and experiences and stories of, of three queer black individuals. Um, and we did that at Buddies in Bad Times Theater in 2016, and then we toured Canada in 2018. But it was the, the process for these collective creation, these devised works is that you get into a room and you improvise material. You can either, uh, it can be improvised, um, you can improvise scenes, you can also bring in writing. Um, you, uh, as we did in Access Me and other plays that I've worked on, you can engage in conversation and then what you do is you transcribe the conversation and then you start devising material that way. Um, and I've also worked on other pieces that were more of a kind of research-based environmental topic with my company Architect Theater, for example. We did a piece that explored, uh, it was based on research in Fort McMurray uh, called Highway 63, the Fort Mac show. And then we also did another one that was based on research into the proposed Northern Gateway Pipeline in, in Northern British Columbia um, that crossed a lot of unceded indigenous territory. And that piece was called Like There's No Tomorrow, which we did in, um, at Summerworks in 2015. So I've, I've worked as a director, I've worked as a performer, often as a producer, because this is independent theater we're talking about. And, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it happen yourself. So that's a little bit of what I've been doing. What does it feel like for you to be kind of unearthing these stories, like with Access Me, with Black Boys, with the other one you mentioned, like they, they, yeah. all, they all connect with marginalized communities and talking about marginalization through theater. And that's a, that's a really powerful thing to kind of take on. How, like, what about those stories do you think is important to you? Yeah, well, I, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I wrote an article for uh, the Canadian Theatre Review magazine a couple weeks ago about, um, I, it came out this summer, about my experience at the Summerworks Festival and, and, and the plays that I was work that I developed for the Summerworks Festival over those, over by like 11 year period. And I reflected on the first play that I did at Summerworks while I was still a student at the National Theatre School of Canada was a play called You Like It, which was a devised piece based on Shakespeare's As You Like It. 
And the idea of that piece was that we as a group of young theater makers were using As You Like It to think about our own identities, our own desires. And for myself as a young queer person at the time, that felt really powerful to, to find um, space for myself and my own experience in the words of Shakespeare and in the characters of Shakespeare as someone who loves theater, that meant a lot to me. And I realized that through that process, this was a means of bringing stories and experiences that I had not seen on stage into our theater spaces. And so it was a long, it was a long learning process for me to, to kind of, you know, like for example, recognizing for You Like It that there were no people of color in the cast, for example. Um, was something that I didn't realize until later because I was so caught up in my own exploration of, of, of that, of, the, of, of my own narrative, you know? Right. And then, uh, and then I did a show with Lemon Tree Creations called Still Life, where, um, where again, it was a devised piece. And we, we brought in a, 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 an artist of color to work with us on that project to, to bring a, a, a queer perspective from, a, from an Asian background into that dynamic. And then in the same way that, because with, with Black boys, it was people that I knew in the community and I just really wanted to work with them. Like I really loved their work. So I yeah. said, oh, let's, let's get together and make something. And it also felt like these are conversations, these are bodies, these are experiences that I'm not seeing on stage that, 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 that this felt like a means to improve that situation, you know, representation on our stages. Yeah, and I think it really, the representation is so key, which is why I remember when we, I want to get into how you got into Access Me in a minute, but I remember when we met you, like, I remember going in that room and wheeling into my chair and seeing you and being like, what, <laughs> what, what is it, how is, the, I don't know how this is going to work, like, what, I was yeah. very excited, but also like, oh, okay, um, how do we do this, yeah. and so, like, can you talk about how, like, how did, how did the idea for Access Me get to you yeah I, I appreciate you saying that Andrew because I think I probably felt the same on the other side of the table like what what am I what am I doing here and I think that I feel very very humbled um you know thinking back to that moment and where where we are now in terms of the project which I'm sure we'll get to as well um but uh you know I I was I was contacted by Indrid Kasapi, who was at the time working at Cahoots Theater, because Ken Harrower, one of our collaborators, stopped by the Cahoots Theater office one day and Marjorie Chan, who was the artistic director at the time, they just started chatting and Ken wanted to make some work. <laughs> and so there's something so- He's such a badass. I, I know, it's <laughs> incredible. I, I love that, that he just kind of wheeled in and said, what do you do here? I want to make a show because he had just finished at the Toronto <laughs> Film Center, right? As an actor. So he's, yeah. he, he makes things happen, which is, you know, one of the things we love about Ken Harrower. So, so then, so then I know that Cahoots really made the connections for those early conversations between me and Ken and then you and Ken and me, and then getting Frank Hall into the mix. And then I brought Brian Postalian in as a, as an associate director, because I was excited about the work that he was doing in, in devised, theater um but but really those you're right like just sitting in those rooms and having those conversations was how is this going to work what are we going to do because I had to like you know even when I earlier referred to improvisation there are modes of improvisation that I was used to that were not going to be possible 
because of the, the, the people we were working with in this space. So again, we had to kind of rethink about, okay, what does devising in this context mean? And yeah. that's, yeah. And I remember, I remember going into that room with you and Ken and Ken and I are wheelchair users and you are not. And so I remember sitting in that room with you, not judging you, but also being like, I don't know if this guy is going to understand how to make this go and being really skeptical of like, well, we have an, a non-disabled producer producing a show yep. about disability. First yep. of all, why? Secondly, how? And then, but, you know, as we've done it over the years, like one of the things I enjoy about our show and our collaboration is that we sat there for months just talking about story and teaching you about, not teaching you, but talking to you about disability and sharing those stories yeah. and getting us to all of us to confront our own ableism. Like when you first, like, cause I know you met with Ken before you met with me before I was brought on. So when you guys sat down together and you got the first like specs of what this could be, were you trepidatious? Were you like scared? Oh yeah, I still am. You know, <laughs> yeah, because I, I think the danger in ever in 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 working across difference like we have is ever feeling from my position, feeling too comfortable or feeling like I know how it works yet, because there are experiences in the room that I, I just can't. Um, I just don't have. And 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 that, as you're saying, those that time that we spent just just listening you know for me just listening to the stories that that you and and ken and andrew were and ken as ken and frank were, were bringing up um to remember that it's hard to remember that first meeting with, with i remember uh, we were in the five, well i remember our meeting we were in the five yeah. in, in toronto and, and yeah. i met you guys there and I remember just sitting there thinking what the fuck is this what like what i don't know like i left that meeting and i sat with my the Wi-Fi go? Jonathan? Hello? Oh, I'm God. I'm so sorry, Andrew. Oh, no. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It happens oh, all the time. Zoom is, a, Zoom is horrible. And I just what thought... Even, I don't even know. I don't because even know. it froze when you were smiling. So for a minute, I was like, is he still smiling what I'm saying? Or is this, and then I was like, wait, it's not moving. I was like, okay, it's the Zoom. So, so don't worry, because I will have to edit it now, which is fine. I don't mind. I'll, I'm going <laughs> to, so I'm going to edit that part around. And so that, so I'll just chop it together. It's fine. It's okay. all right. Uh, well, you know what? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, let's carry on. Yeah. So let me hit record again and we'll go. Oh, we are oh. recording. Apparently we oh, are recording. Oh, All right, perfect. Good. I love uh, this. Yeah. this so, great. so my Zoom just cut out. Yes. Uh, and so we're going to jump back in. So like, I remember yes. seeing, I remember like going into that room with you and Ken and just thinking, mm -hmm. thinking, mm -hmm. I don't know, like, I left that meeting with you. And I remember walking down Church Street with my friend, leaving the 519 and going, I don't know if this thing is going to go anywhere. And I'm not sure if I want to, like, I'm not sure if I want to do it. But then, yeah having conversations with myself later being like do I want to put these stories on stage how cool would that be and like realizing how valuable that would be and then yeah. I remember like a couple months later us sitting in the room at Cahoots in downtown mm -hmm. Toronto the theater space 
and mm-hmm. just talking for four weeks almost every day like and that was it was a lot but it was important for us to like share the stories of disability and sexuality and queerness and share our stories about ableism and in trying to be queer and trying to be trying to emulate what we've seen our peers do and giving you that stuff as the impetus for the show yeah yeah it was it, it was it was amazing that whole period for me just being uh, a listener to those stories, to being a witness to that sharing, and to just try as best as I could to hold the space for that, for those experiences and those truths to, to breathe, you know? Um, and I think what, what revealed itself through that period was what, what our collaboration could be, you know, in terms of those of us like Brian, myself, and eventually Debbie Patterson as artists, on the outside of the project, how but and having some experience in creating theater, how could we collaborate to bring you know the lived experience and the stories that you're that you're bringing with our knowledge of theater craft to make something that would honor the the stories and experiences that you were that you and 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 Ken and Frank were were bringing forward. Yeah, it, and I think you know before. And I said this when we talked to Debbie Patterson, I said to her, you know, before we, we brought you on, it felt different. And the minute Debbie came on the scene, like, yeah, it was a completely different show because up until then it was you, me, Ken, Frank, and Brian. So yep. two non-disabled producers kind of walking into this, figuring out what to do. And the minute Debbie came on, it just changed it because I was like, oh, she's in a wheelchair too. She'll understand the movement around a chair. She'll understand how to block something this way and so did you feel like when you when before Debbie was there or even even when Debbie was there were you worried the whole time about appropriating fucking up like were you going to do something wrong what was that like for you all all the time yeah I mean that that's 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 what keeps that that can never leave the the process for me you know like that sense of i i want to put in the effort to get this right and i and if i and if i fuck up will i hope that we've at least built a a level of trust and dialogue that that either i'll be called out called in or that i'll notice it myself from what i've been learning from from what's been shared and, and I think too, the other piece of it, technically what happened was, was that, you know, Brian and I would record those conversations and then transcribe um, the stories or the, the you know, the, the dialogues that happened. And then that would start to form what a script would look like. We would, you know, to turn into a monologue where somebody's telling a story about a lover that they had or an experience they had, or a, a dialogue between, between you and, and Ken or you and Frank around like, uh, a particular topic or, you know, the, the inaccessibility of gay bars on church street, for example. Right. And yeah. then Brian and I would sit down with the recording and, and, and type it out so that we could start creating a text of something. And I think that process also was a part of, you know, re- really trying to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we take these experiences and, 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 and bring them into a theater space that that's unique, you know, that's going to spread, bring this experience in this, into a space in a way that that reflects the material if that makes sense when you were listening to that 
to those recordings back did it did it strike a nerve with you in terms of like your own ableism and your own privilege and your own like non-disabled experience did it make you like look at the queer experience differently just from those initial listenings back to what we were saying yeah definitely I think even even as we've been um working on the show something I've become more and more aware of is the inaccessibility of our theater spaces generally so like when we think about where we're going to produce the show or what spaces we can use it's like well we can go there but the rehearse the uh, the dressing room is inaccessible yeah or we can go there but there's only one elevator so that would mean it difficult for our audience members who are wheelchairs users to access the space or yeah you know that there's um yeah yeah and i think that 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 awareness is that if i'm walking down church street and i you know as an able-bodied person and i want to go into a place that has stairs outside it's not even an issue and to recognize that actually it is an issue, that there are ways that our physical spaces are inaccessible to members yeah. of our community. And I think one of my favorite experiences with working with you as a director was when um, there was one scene and you wanted me to, you kept showing me <laughs> yeah. how to, to do this scene where I was, you wanted me to walk across the stage and you kept showing me how to walk across the stage. And I, have, I kept having to stop you and being like, no, no, I can't do that how would I do that in a wheelchair? And so we spent probably 30 minutes of me being like, okay, let me move my chair this way. And you would walk behind me. And then I would be like, okay, but how do I do that in a wheelchair? And so we'd have to like figure out how do you translate this movement from a non-disabled person to a wheelchair user. And I loved kind of getting in the mess of that with you and figuring out how do we make it, how do we translate this to to both audiences for a non-disabled person? Yeah, and for for a disabled audience member. Yeah, that's right. That's a good example. And I think too, like just some learning about the beauty and grace of a of a body moving in a wheelchair. Like the, the I'm thinking of the dance between uh, Ken and Frank in the show. Um, it's a really you know there's there's some there's movement there that's un- impossible in any other setup. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, one of the, one of my other favorite scenes from the show, and I, I don't want to give it away, but I also am like, <laughs> we should talk about it. One of my other favorite things, one of the scenes that we have in the show is that we use a Hoyer lift. And I loved sitting down yes. with you and t- talking about having a Hoyer lift on stage and showing. And like, I remember when we got the, the Hoyer lift that first week, all of yeah. us got in it and tried it out. And like, yeah, we had a little party to see what a Hoyer lift was like. And so I loved <laughs> being able to like, show a non-disabled director who who didn't have experience in disability this is what the reality is here's how this works and I think that was really transformative to make the show go yeah and I I, you know I I feel really moved remembering those moments as well because there is a sharing of such intimate personal experiences and spaces that that yourself and the other performer creators in the piece were willing to move towards um that uh, that that i that i that i feel inspired by and 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 don't and feel very lucky to to be to be able to play in that way you know yeah and i mean we we had tough conversations too like we had there have been moments where this cast oh, was yeah. like we're fucking done with the show it's over like I, there was a point yeah. where in the very beginning probably the first or second year we met up one day and things 
I remember things didn't go super well. We were, none of us were happy. We were all annoyed. And I remember yeah. we all just we all were like, "Fuck, we don't want to tell these stories anymore. We're done. We're late. like we finished." And I yeah. think that was really valuable too because it shows it showed you as an underfield director how personal the stuff was. And mm. you know, while you were doing your job and while you were you were simply doing what you're supposed to do, which is directing us, you saw us, all of us, all three of us, three principal performers break and be like, we don't, we need to just stop for a minute and just be with our stuff. And I think when you were doing other productions that didn't involve disability, but had other marginalized people there, did Mm -hmm. you face the same kind of challenges? Were people also needing time to decompress? Well, I think I, yeah, I, I, it's a really good, it's a really good topic, Andrew. I feel like that was one of my big learnings through this process. And I feel like something that on a larger scale people are encountering through the pandemic is an awareness that we need to take care of ourselves and take care of each other. Yeah. Um, and, and I, the, 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 the events you're talking about, you know, that, that's what led us to say, okay, we need to adjust our, our working, either our working schedule to allow more rest time. We need to bring in uh, an outside party to be a, a, some, you know, a, a mental health support for, for anyone who needs someone to talk to. Um, and and you, you need to make space for the humanity of everyone involved. And, and one of the things I really value because Debbie Patterson is such a leader in this, in this particular realm. And as you're saying, she really brought so much so much uh, value and, and transformative kind of her presence was transformative to the process because she understands like where, what, 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 what's, what's called kind of disability dramaturgy. Like yeah. How do we approach making work that, um, that, that, that embraces the things that disability brings to the fore. Like even as we're talking here, Andrew, my computer shut down um, so we had to restart the conversation got interrupted, you know, where we had to, you know, and then even in that pause, I was thinking, yeah, this, this is the kind of thing that, that, that in my own life, I'm so much more easy. I'm so much more relaxed around because things don't work out. You try stuff yeah. and it fails or, you know, I like the fact, even like, uh, I, I had a meeting today that it was scheduled and it was canceled. And like I've canceled meetings because I feel like no, I just need some space today. I can't. Do and this you know, like right now. I've I've canceled meetings on for our thing all the time. Like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna be there. Best of luck, bye. Like, so yeah. I think you know part of what I love about our show is that after we had that blowout and after we had that like I won't say blowout, but it was a moment of reckoning for all of us. I think because yeah. we had to we had to come to terms with a lot of stuff after mm-hmm. we rejigged the show a little bit and brought in Debbie and brought in mental health supports. And said, hey, we need time to decompress. Like, yeah. and we need time to be mad about the stuff we're sharing with you. Because mm-hmm. and one of the things I think I struggle with as a performer in, the, in that piece and still do, even though I love it, is like, I'm giving this real life story to this audience that I really went through. Yeah. And yes, I'm dramatizing it. And yes, it's part of a show, but it yeah. really did happen to me. And so one of the things I think that you helped us work through as a director was putting, taking away the pain of the, what happened and being like, don't forget it, but turn it into a story piece. And so I love doing that because mm. you can look at it from, it's a contained story. Now it's not this, this 
tough thing that happened to you. Well, it is, but it doesn't have to, you don't have to hold on to that piece. You can mobilize it now. So I really loved sitting in that room with you and figuring out how to take these really tough stories and like, and figuring out how do I turn this really tough thing that happened to me and really personal thing into something powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, in, in my, from my position, what was thrilling about that same process you're talking about, Andrew, is when you made the distinction between Andrew, the actor and Andrew, the character. And oh, I yeah. remember when you started using that language, it was like, you, you know, you're, you're, you're connecting to something that I think is really, really useful in this work, because as you're saying, and this, this is obviously has come up in previous projects de- developed from people's life ex- lived experience is that you're bringing up things that are difficult to deal with. You're still moving through or, you know, and, and that needs, that needs time. That's going to pull up things that just need some space. Um, and, and the sensitivity and awareness of that um, does not always fit into the normative model of theater making yeah. in terms of like, you know, you have a two or three week workshop where you work 10 to six, six days a week, and that's your schedule. And, you know, but, Sometimes it's not going to serve a devised process. And we tried you know? that. Like we tried six days we a did. week. We did all that. And, we, the, and you know, at the end of that first one, we were like, oh, that's a lot. Like all those were like, oh, okay, that's it. And that's where kind of the, the, the reckoning happened because we were like, it's a, we need to rejig this. And yeah. so I think, but I also, th- I like that, you know, I like that you didn't initially say, let's make it completely relaxed. You you showed us what a real theater, not that it isn't real theater, but a, a bigger theater production would do six days a week. Yeah. You know, and, and then you realize that like, oh, this won't work. How did realization that like a theater piece like this would have to be adapted? How did that affect you? Like, how did you feel when you realized, okay, things have to change from what I've been taught? Like, I'm sure in all your mm-hmm. theater training, they didn't teach you how to have relaxed performances or how to accommodate disabled performers like was it hard for you to break out of those boxes um it was challenging for sure because of my own ideas of like what um what efficient what the kind of efficiency you have to work under due to the uh funding constraints or space restraints or whatever it might be um um i think how would I address that? I think what, what, thinking back to something I said earlier around improvisation, that the improvisation was always a method of devising work in, in, that I've worked with. And it felt like this asked for Im- improvisation on a larger scale, um, improvising what, what a workday looks like what what development looks like you know um i feel like i'm not answering your question andrew can you I mean, ask you are, it again i mean i get yeah yeah i can ask it again I'll, I'll change it around a bit um so was it here that's that's the last was it difficult for you to break out of the yeah break out of the binary around theater making in the really strict regimented way like that they that they teach you to teach theater and to be mm-hmm. a director like you were saying there's time constraints there's all these things there's funding constraints and so when 
we entered the space and kind of laid out for you what our disability needs were, did that change the way you looked at how you're going to create this piece? When we said like, we need things like attendant care, we need things like transportation, we need things like, you know, devise, revised hours based on what our needs were. Yeah, did yeah. all of us saying that to you make you look at the, the typical way of producing theater and be like, oh, we have to throw that all out and start again? Yeah, and I, I think I think that in a larger sense than just in than just in this work, I think that there's an awareness of these topics across the field. Like, how do we how do how do we care for our uh, the people we're working with and the stories we're holding? Um, I have to interrupt, Andrew. I feel like I don't know. I I feel like I'm not answering the. I, answering the question in the way that I want to. Okay. I feel like, I feel like uh, I had a thought and I lost it, but oh, there's no. something, yeah. But I can come we, back to it. We can, no, can, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. I think there's something about even like, if I can, I feel like there's even something about, I get, I, I feel like I'm in an interview, you know what I mean? And I feel like I'm putting pressure on myself to perform an interview or like come up with some clever answer to your brilliant questions or like recount things in a way that's compelling to a listener. Oh, how do I, how do I fix that for you? How do I make you feel less? <laughs> no, like... no, no. I, I, it's, 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 it's once again, like me confronting my ableism, I think. Like me confronting my idea of what perfection looks like or me confronting the fact that like I'm sitting here feeling oh I'm answering these questions wrong or I'm saying the wrong thing no no you're not none of it is wrong I like all of it it's fun <laughs> so I think that 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 to me is something that even to name that to you in this moment when we're in the midst of a interview makes me think about like in performance of access me like when something happens when when somebody's gone off script or somebody's interacting with an audience member and it's it's producing its own kind of moment and then and then the performer will turn to the other performer and say so what's next like there's a liveness to access yeah. me that brings in the lived reality as we're living it as it's being experienced rather than some rehearsed piece that has to be perfect the way that it's performed you know what i mean yeah and i mean with the show i like how we i like how Yes, we have our we have our marks. We have the things we have to hit and mm -hmm. say, but oftentimes all three of us will throw that out with the bathwater and just just do a thing that had nothing to do with what we're supposed to do, and we'll follow the like <laughs> bare bones of what the what what we're supposed to do, but say yes. something different or move differently or hit a different mark. And <laughs> in terms of like what you were saying earlier about perfectionism, in staging this show wanting to hit the marks and wanting to do it exactly right. I felt that way all the time being like, oh no, I haven't hit the exact right mark. I haven't said the yeah. exact right thing. So I would offer not to, not to worry about fucking up because <laughs> we've all done it, especially in the theater space. Yes. Like, but in this and space here, like in this podcast space, the, the whole point of the show is to just have a conversation. So don't yeah. feel over. No, no, and I, yeah. Thank you. And I think that that's true about like, my what I've learned through this project and what I think I think about when I think about the term like disability dramaturgy is just letting go of all those kind of assumptions around what theater performance theater perfection looks like 
um, in order to actually make a piece that responds to the to the moment that we're in and yeah. the thing that the things that's happening. I think what I wanted to say earlier, but I forgot, was around like the meeting point of of uh, you know because Andrew, you're a you're a you're a professional podcaster. You're an activist. You're out there doing shit, but you're not. But theater is still was a was a new fate a new medium for you when we started, right? Oh, it's still new. It's <laughs> five years on. I'm still like, what the fuck are we doing? All right, it's still not something that I'm comfy with at all. And it's it's like what I enjoy about having you there is that we can both be uncomfortable. You are somehow somewhat. Yep. We're we're both getting more comfortable. I'm getting more comfortable in the theater space, and you're getting more comfortable in the disability space. But I think for both of us, and for all of us in there, like. None of it is comfortable. And that's what I love about it because it's a messy mm. show. It's like, yes. it's not super polished. And so, but yes. I think, I think like, I love coming in there and learning from you how to turn, like I said, how to turn those stories of yeah. disability and sexuality and like sex work and like guys being rude and horrible, like really able stuff that happened to me, yeah. turning it into a character versus like, yeah. I have to hold on to this forever. So what I love about our work together is that you taught me that. And then I taught you how to, you know, more about disability. So there's yes, yes, something that's exactly right. the mess that I think is valuable. I agree. And, and, you know, cause Frank comes as a, as a, as a dancer and Ken comes as a film actor. So, so that, that exchange between like, as you're saying myself as a theater maker and yourself, the lived experience that you have as a disabled person, like that meeting point and that opportunity to learn from each other. And, and when you're talking about like the schedule that we worked under, that the, the kind of professional schedule that, that we kind of started with and how we realized that actually those long hours are not serving the piece we want to make, we yeah. had to adjust them. And that, so I think, and, but that element of like, not never, never um, kind of never turning down the rigor of making the play together yeah. never turning down the um never cheapening what this could be as a theatrical moment was you know i think important a value for all of us yeah and also doing it within a way that was truthful to the experiences of the people in the room and the needs of of us all you know like um, i remember yes. i remember asking sitting down with with you and saying hey we're gonna have to change the schedule or move things around because my body and disability can't do that i remember being so trepidatious to ask you that because mm. I was like he's he this is a big theater piece I can't go asking for accommodations I can't go asking for all this help and like I did it because we all did it we all and it all yeah. worked out but yeah. like I remember yeah. you're talking earlier about pressure of fucking up when, yeah. we were, when we were doing that I was so constantly worried of like I can't ask for anything I'm a performer here I have to do this and so when we finally sat down and we're like none of this is working and you yeah. <laughs> we all just said like, oh, let's work through. I felt really comfortable in teaching you about the the rigor of my body and how yes. how I can't do this. And I think that changed the way we made we made the play too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I and I also feel very deeply grateful for those lessons. And 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 I would offer too that that your 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 willingness to step into that vulnerability. Um, not only kind of has affected the way that I think about making work overall now that in, in other things that I'm making now and how I approach those collaborations, 
um, but also the kind of like um, fundamentals of the piece that we made, you know, that it, there is a, there, there is a kind of like, um, kind of an openness and a generosity to it and a, and a, and a, and a love of, of where everyone is coming from and an, an acceptance of that, you know, and, yeah. and, the, and, and, and part of that is inspired by the, by the courage of, of the performers to say really uncomfortable things and, and step into really unknown spaces for a lot of our audience members yeah. um, and do it with like skill and grace and, you know, brilliant storytelling. And, you know, so even though you say you don't have a lot of experience in the theater, you're certainly a captivating performer. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I mean, you know, you said I'm the character of Andrew when I did this show I'm thinking now, just as we're talking, I'm thinking like, oh, I wonder if a little bit of that character comes out when I do a podcast, comes out when I do. Oh, wow. Like, I wonder if that's a good way to look at it because then I can protect myself more. So it was something I was thinking of after you said that. I was like, well, I wonder if, you know, there's a bit of a character there. Um, Yeah, yeah, interesting. I wonder, I want to ask you, how do you think this play access me has changed, we talked about it a little bit, but how do you think it's changed the way we should make theater going forward? Yeah, um, I think that's a really key question. Um, I think we really, we really need to think about how the systems that are in place benefit certain people and not other people, how it benefits certain experiences and bodies and um, identities and, and other ones are, are shut out, you know? I think even the, the I, I was looking, cause I, you know, as I said, I'm currently in Buffalo and I'm looking for a place cause I'm coming to Toronto to do some work later this year. And just looking at the rents in Toronto that there's an inaffordability to being an artist as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, the, so, you know, I think the way that we make theater, we really need to consider where people are coming from and, yes. and, and allow themselves to bring them their full selves into the space. I think that that's the way that we're going to, that, that theater can respond to the moment we're living in. Um, and to, 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 to imagine, like you're saying, that pressure to like leave your needs or your identity or your experiences outside of the room is not going to serve the project. No, you have to bring your needs and your pressure and all this stuff in the room with you and say, here's all the stuff I'm carrying with me as I do this. Be aware of ABC. And I think, you know, when I typed out that question, I was thinking more like broadly, how do we make theater more accessible? So like, I think, mm. you know, having more stories about, wheelchair users more than one on stage like what i love about our show is that i haven't seen three three power chair users on stage at once in a show maybe ever so like that's that's one way to make like have more representation and different stories and tell to tell these stories from authenticity and then i think whether or not you have a disabled dramaturge or not you should make an effort to listen. Like what I love about our team is that while you're not disabled, you don't shy away from sitting with us and having hard conversations about stuff and wanting to learn. And you don't shy away from, from saying, I don't know this, but I want to know, 
can you tell me? And so like, I, like one of my favorite things about making this play, not even the play was just sitting in a room with you and saying, here's what my reality is day to day. Let me lay it yeah. out for you. Let me tell yeah. that story. And yeah. then you would say something like, oh, I didn't realize that. Let me learn some more. So I think the, the joy I have in making disabled theater is putting all that stuff on the table too and being like, oh, I can't be there at, at 10 o'clock because I have care. So maybe I can be there at 11 or maybe I can be there at yep. 12 or I'll have to bringing all that stuff in and saying, here's how this will inform my theater making capabilities yep. is really hard to do, but I think really valuable. Yeah, 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 I agree. And I think too, it informs the kind of work that we make, the kind of space that we make. And, you know, not like you said earlier, not to give away the play, but there, there is a transformation that happens in the space that, uh, you know, that, that hopefully creates the kind of space that the play talks about that we don't have. Like, oh, you that's know? my favorite. I can't wait for people to see. I can't wait for that. To, I can't wait for that to be bigger. That's going to be, it's going to be so fun. I can't wait for people to like, if this goes wide and large, like we hope it is. Um, yeah. I really want people to see that piece because that's that's the most fun part of the whole play. That exactly. Piece. Yeah. Yeah. How can the play itself become um, the thing that's missing in our in our spaces? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think this trend this this piece transcends a lot of things about theater and the way it's produced and the way like I love that it's raw and real and rough around the edges and need like it's never going to be this polished thing you'll see no. like at the west end which which like i hope we go there so we, if we go there <laughs> like, it's never going to be this like you know this like really clipped piece about whatever it's it's something that is living and breathing in the moment i think that's really valuable i agree i agree um what are what would you say in working with all of us as performers, what would you say some of the triumphs have been staging a show like this? And then some of the challenges too, working with disabled performers for you that you never realized before. Well, we've talked, you know, we've talked a lot of a lot about, I think both of those when we talked about our, our methods of working together, like the schedules we needed to make or the adjustments we needed to make to so that the process reflected the, the, the people and the experience. Um, there are so many moments, like when I think back to our uh, 2019 production workshop, which is the last time we did this together uh, in a theater with lights and with set, and like, you know, these things were all kind of in, in process, but they were, they were there. Um, but I don't know why, Andrew, but there's this line in your story um, where you're talking about having a having a having a a sexual encounter with another disabled person, another yeah. a wheelchair user. And there's this line where you talk about like when you're both lying in bed, you know, postcoital, and you look over and you see the two wheelchairs next to each other. Um, and and that that image has always stayed with me as kind of an incredible, beautiful moment from the, from the play that I, that I always love hearing, you know? It's too bad the guy ended up being a dickwad, but yeah. It is too bad. 
and, you know, we've all had those encounters where it's like, it's great and then it's not great, but it's like, there's that one kind of utopian kind of vision um, that, that, you, that you let us into. I mean, that's, that's a part of romance, right? Is, I would say that my favorite part of the play, and I'm going to give some of it away and it's okay because it. who knows when we'll, we'll see it live. But <laughs> two of my favorite parts of the play were we do a part in the play where I get to interact with that, with the audience member and I get to treat them like my attendant. And then yes. in the next breath, yes. I get to treat them like my lover. And I love doing that one so much because I have no idea until I pick the person who I'm going to pick and I have no idea how it's going to go. And I like watching them. I come up to them and say, you know, pretend you're my caregiver and help me say goodnight to me. And so I get them to say goodnight to me. And then I say, okay, now pretend you're my lover and say goodnight to me. And just watching them try to reconcile the two things and be like, Oh, how do I, I don't know how to do that. Like watching this, <laughs> this able-bodied person confront their own ableism in like a really quick short span of time and doing that in a way that makes them feel safe and comfy, but also exposes the ableism that a lot of us experience is really fun. I love doing that. Yeah, like I love playing yeah. the, the, and poking the bear a little bit when I do that yeah. scene with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and the same I, I, this, I, I love that too, because it also shows, it, 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 other, other, time, other times it's happened, I'm like, they, they really want to get it right, you know? Yeah. They really want to, what is it to say I love you in that way and or really like mean it? kiss you know? a disabled person on the cheek or like, you know, make them yeah. feel wanted. And, and so that's one of the ones I love. I also love being in the sling for that for the, the last part of the play is me doing so me giving a big monologue about and a vignette of being in my bedroom and having this guy come over and so then I have to pick a person bring them back to my bedroom be put in a sling and do this whole do this whole like yeah. monologue about will they come over will they like me will they will I be good enough will we have children will we will i get the china patterns yeah this big big soliloquy of like who i am and how my disability is gonna impact this hookup and then i have to get in the sling and i love that because seeing the hoyer lift seeing me in a hoyer lift on stage in a production is something i don't think i have ever seen nor will i ever see again on stage after this but like it's so (laughs) groundbreaking and i remember getting getting the idea with you and saying what if we just got a holy lift and then bringing that into the space and putting that on stage and doing that for for our couple audiences we did it for was so so groundbreaking yeah and it's so generous of you to to share that you know that that intimate moment in a theatrical space that i've never seen before it's it's your 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 desire to go in that direction is like that's that's the heart of this show is is the is the is the willingness or like the curiosity of 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 you and frank and ken to say yeah let's put it up there let's put this truth out there let's put our stories in there um it it, it's yeah i i it, it makes it makes my job just trying to keep up in terms of 
how do I create the right container for what they for what for what wants to be on stage? What stories want to be told so that they're mo- they're best heard by an audience? I mean, I think you know? if all three of all three of the principal performers had our way, the show would be like seven hours long because we all have to, <laughs> we all have different different ways that we want to talk about this stuff. And I think what I love about what what you helped us create is some of the stories that we tell are really funny and light, and then yes, some of the stories yes. we tell are like a gut punch and you're like, Oh, wow. I got like, there's one that Ken tells, and I'm not, I won't say what it is, but there's one that he tells and we all have to sit there quietly and listen. And even in rehearsals, that is one of the ones that I have to listen to. That. And I'm like, I, every single time I want to laugh out of nervousness or cry out of like disgust about what happened to him. And we yeah. all have to sit there and let it just let that moment just hold. And yeah. as a performer and as somebody watching the show that I'm like, that's, a great piece of performance, but holy fuck, that's hard. <laughs> like, so yeah. the fact that you created something that can go from such high highs, dip down to a low, but then come back up with a high, talking about such hard stuff and stuff we've yeah. never talked about on stage before, I think is a yeah. triumph to you as a, as a director because you've helped that to breathe. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and that movement between, as you know, you gave away a, a moment of the play, <laughs> like that that movement between like intimacy and like interaction with the audience and the different ways that the audience are are not included or become a part of the storytelling. You know, we do it we do it gently and we do it, you know, I hope caringly and kind of guiding them through the experience. But that that's you know that's where a lot of the conversations began around like the the ableism in in the queer community or the way that disabled people are not seen as sexual beings like yeah. ken's working title for the show was horny right <laughs> so it's sti- i think it's still horny <laughs> in, the, in the back of ken's mind i think it is um um but i think that 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 desire to like bring together uh disabled and able-bodied people non-disabled people in a space together where where intimacy where attraction where sexuality are part of the conversation is really great and really important yeah and i think it's just the bridging of the gap between non-disabled and disabled in this space and that's one of the reasons why i adore working with you because it's that when we get in that space this well disability is there of course it is at the same time, we're both just theater makers doing a thing. And yes, like right, right, you being yeah. able-bodied doesn't stop it from being a great thing. And me being disabled doesn't stop it from being a great thing. Like we've found a really good sweet spot with everybody where we can yeah. make a show that talks about disability, but also doesn't really talk about disability. It's a, it's a really interesting place we're mm. in because what it's talking about is is queerness and experience and disability but at the same time it's talking about none of that it's just talking about humanity so yeah. Yeah. it's really interesting that way yeah love and romance and sex and desire and all the hate and like all those things together um i know we're i know you have to run off to be a teacher at some point soon today so what um what do you can you tell us what's next for this play and can you tell us what you want to see next for this play yeah, I want I want to see uh, the the full realization of our of our of our imagination for what this could be. That's about finding the right venue 
that's, you know, that can do the transformations that we want the space to, to do. That means a space that's accessible for performers and audience members. It's, it's, it's about making a, a, a performance schedule that is considerate of the, of the needs of, of the performers. Um, and, and something I'm curious about, and I don't know if we'll be able to do this this time, but I think the other thing the pandemic has, has presented to, to theaters is um, opportunities around sharing work with people who can't make it to the theater. Yeah. Who, yeah. So is there not that not necessarily that it means you put a camera in the theater and, and live stream it, but do you create a, a kind of a parallel experience of the piece as a that 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 doesn't try to replicate it but offers something different? Yeah. Um, and that that's what I'm curious about. But I really want us to get in the room together with an audience and have these encounters because that's why this play has been put on the shelf for so long because you can't just be in a theater with people six feet apart wearing masks. Like that's not how this play works. Yeah, it can't work that way. It's very personal no. and very you're very much in it with each other. Yeah, and the element, as you're saying, the element of touch is an element of the drama. So yeah. the, the play doesn't work without touching each other, you know? And so that when we can do that, and when we can build the set to our imagination, like fulfillment, that's what I'm excited about, you know? And hopefully in the next year. No, not next year, maybe even longer, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, I know big things are coming for it and it, like, we're so excited. Yeah. Big things are on the horizon. Maybe if the world opens up and things are good. Yeah, exactly. And, but we are getting published, right? I mean, there is, the, the play will be part of, uh, of an anthology coming out um uh this fall i think so that's another way people can experience the work yeah and again so jonathan director man so i'm so thankful that we sat down today and had this chat it was so fun um how, yes me too Thank how can you. the people how can the people get a hold of you how can they follow you how can they support you uh, <laughs> how can they i don't know i sometimes <laughs> I feel like a luddite you know um I have a website, which I don't update, and I have an Instagram that I don't put videos on. Amazing. Um, but Amazing. at Jonathan Sinan, you'll find me. All right. I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Sinan, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about Access Me and talking about our play. And um, it was so nice to sit down with you again. It's been a while. Such a pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. No problem. Thanks we'll talk so soon. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark from me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at Andrew Gerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time.
Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021.